Greetings, everybody. Irv Lindsay here. How you doing? Uh, welcome to the Irv TV Queen City podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the triple homicide that happened the night of De- of September twenty fifth, nineteen sixty six. It happened at 3381 Greenway Avenue in Bridgetown. Uh, And you guys know this as the Bricka murders. Um, The Bricka murders were a very polarizing, uh, a very polarizing event in uh, the history of the West Side. And uh, for a long time, it was something that wasn't talked about in the media. Um, And for a number of years, um, everybody was still interested in it. There was a lot of, a lot of grassroots uh, interest in this getting solved, but for some reason, it, it just didn't make it into, uh, into the newspapers until, uh, until after like maybe the 40-year mark. Now, let's talk, about, let's talk about the one place, the one individual that really did that really did bring this back to life, and that was J.T. Townsend's book, Queen City Gothic. Uh, now, he not only wrote Queen City Gothic, but he also wrote the... Um, he, also, he also wrote... Uh, is going to write another book on the subject uh, that, is, um, th- that is the entire book will be about the Bricka murders. It's supposed to be coming out soon. Um, he has talked about it online in some of the Cincinnati history groups that I'm in. And so for those of you that enjoy J.T. Townsend's work, he's going to be coming out with an entire book on this very subject. All right, so um, the Bricka murders happened in 1966. What was going on in Cincinnati in 1966? And uh, just as a bit of uh, uh, kind of as a source, I am using because it's really the best source of information for the Bricka murders is the chapter on it in Queen City Gothic, the book written by J.T. Townsend. Um, Although I'm going to try to put this in my own words as much as possible. I'm not going to copy from the book. Uh, so in 1966, there was a lot of stuff going on in the United States and in Cincinnati. Uh, the Vietnam War had just started. There was a lot of protesters about that. Um, the whole civil rights thing was still in its infancy. The Civil Rights Act had only been passed a couple of years before. And um, that, that whole, and that, that's an entire story maybe for a different podcast, that was still going on. And so amongst all of this social and political upheaval, in addition to that in Cincinnati, for the previous eight months, I believe, uh, the Cincinnati Strangler had been um, had been hitting victims here in Cincinnati. And um, in addition to race riots that were going on across the country and all of that, we had the Cincinnati Strangler, who was a um, uh, suspected to be a um, a black man that was that was hitting hitting targets here in Cincinnati, and that that made for an uncomfortable mixture of of of, of events that was going on. Um, so on a Sunday night, um, the Bricka family. Um, the, the husband had just gotten home. He had been working all weekend. He was an engineer out, out at Monsanto. And he had just gotten home. 
uh, and um, if we follow the series of events that led up to this, and then I'll introduce you to what I know about the, the Bricka family, <clears throat> at least on the surface, um, around 8.45 p.m., um, it had been raining that day, um, and one of the neighbors, Mrs., I believe it's, I'm going to pronounce it Jansen, um, it's had J-A-N-Z-E-N, um, she took her dog out for a walk, and um, she, she, uh, it, it, she reported that she remembered this time very well because there was a, there was a movie on TV uh, that was premiering at 9 and she wanted to be back at 9 o'clock. Uh, and so she remembered the time that she was out very clearly. And she passed the Bricka home and that's where she encountered um, Jerry Bricka. And he was putting his garbage cans out by the street because they had garbage pickup the very next morning. And she was very clear that that's who she saw. She knew him. She recognized him. They talked to each other. And she would be the last person um, that we know of to see her a lot, to see, to see him alive. Um, so what was going on inside the Bricka home? Well, we don't know for sure. But um, inside the Bricka home that evening, um, probably around 9.30, her father, her parents called. Um, and the big thing was that Jerry was leaving for West Virginia uh, early Monday morning. And he was expected to be on a plane and being out of town for a period of time for business. So um, Monday morning he missed his plane and his job was trying to get a hold of him Monday morning and couldn't get a hold of him. And, um, so th there's an, uh, an, another set of neighbors. The Myers live right next door. Um, and Richard Meyer, who lived right next door, noticed that their patio lights were still on. And remember, Back then in the 60s, they didn't have all the light-activated patio lights. Lights did. They didn't have timers like we do today. This was in an era of time when you went to bed, you turned your porch light off. And, you know, when it got dark outside, you switched your porch lights on. Probably the same with the patio lights. They were manually switched on and off. And the neighbor noticed they had been left on, that, that the family didn't turn them off. Um, so another thing that happened Monday was the trash cans were left out. That was odd. Uh, the newspapers started piling up um, and were laying, were laying in their front yard. Their cars hadn't been moved. And by Tuesday, the neighbors got together and said, hey, something's wrong. Um, so the two neighbors, around 10 p.m., uh, Mr. Meyer, the next-door neighbor, and... Uh, uh, remember the lady, Jansen, her, her husband, the, the dog walking lady, her husband got together with, uh, with the next door neighbor, Mr. Meyer. And they both said, you know, something's wrong because they were talking about the last time anybody that saw them. And it was just all really fishy. So the story that's put forth in Queen City Gothic is that, um, around 10 PM, they got together and they went to the front door to, to knock and they, they found the front door ajar. Uh, they leaned in and they, they called, um, they called out to see if anybody would answer. 
the neighbor uh, was a um, he was a war veteran, and he smelled the odor coming from the house that 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 odor of death. So that's kind of the timeline of events that uh, that went on um, at, by 10:40 p.m. Uh, Hamilton County uh, Sheriff's Department was there on the scene, and they found um, they found the husband and wife in the master bedroom. Um, and it was a bloody gory scene. I'm not here on YouTube and on my podcast. I'm not going to give gory details, but just to say it was a very bloody gory scene. Uh, and they were found in their bedroom. And the very sad part of this story is the four year old daughter, whose name was Debbie. They found her, um, in, in her bedroom and she was, she had also been killed. Uh, so, um, Mr. Meyer and Mr. Jansen both went in and identified the victims. And um, unfortunately, those two gentlemen saw the murder scene. I'm not sure if that's something that we would do today. There's something I've learned from researching this is that police stuff has changed and it has changed over time. And I, I'm not 100% sure that given the same events today, if we would be, um, we would be calling in witnesses to come in and witness a scene, a murder scene like that. I don't think that's the way it works, but that's what they do with those guys. And I can imagine the trauma that they suffered from seeing their, their neighbors in the bloody gory shape that they did find, um, inside the house. Um, one of the weird things about this whole thing, and we'll come back to this and it's kind of a clue. The brick has had two dogs, um, a cocker spaniel and a, a medium sized poodle. They were both found in the basement um, and they weren't very barky like they normally would be. Um, and they had been pretty quiet all weekend. And it wasn't until, I think it wasn't until Tuesday they started making noise. Now these houses in this neighborhood are just like 15 feet apart. And they're not really like my house is double brick construction. My house here, uh, is that I live in is a really old house. It was built back in the, um, back in the great depression. Well, these houses are typical of what you find on the West side here in Cincinnati a lot. They're brick and uh, brick and wood frame houses. And, um, they're not, not well insulated against noise. And you pretty much hear if the neighbor's dog is going berserk, you can hear it. Um, and so that, that's a clue that will hopefully I get, I have time to come back to as we discuss this, this, uh, brutal triple murder. The police discovered a few facts. Let's review a few of the facts that they knew early on. Uh, the killer um, would stab over 20 times um, between the three individuals. Um, and that's about as detailed as I'm going to get. Um, if you want to know more about this, if you want to know more about the details, please go look up Queen City Gothic, Cincinnati's most infamous murder mysteries. There are many chapters and it's many cold cases and all the cases in this book are unsolved. So if you like this type of thing, it's a great book, an easy read. Uh, and I'm looking forward to his next, his next book on the Brick of Murders. Evidently he's found something out. They know something new. All right, friends, I want to pause for just a moment before we go on to our next segment to mention my YouTube channel, Irv TV. At Irv TV, we explore Cincinnati history. And each week we learn about something new and we do it together. Sometimes we explore abandoned buildings, find lost cemeteries, or learn about important people in Cincinnati history. 
Cincinnati has such a rich and unique past, and on Irv TV, we explore it together. So go check it out if you haven't already, youtube.com slash Irv TV. And I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Irv TV. Okay, so um, they did autopsies, and for a long time, nobody knew what the autopsies said. It wasn't until the last 10 years or so that we, not we, but the uh, people have seen the autopsies. I don't think it's ever been released publicly, but at least people have seen them. Um, the um, Sometime around 10 p.m., Sunday and 8.30 a.m. Monday was when the murders happened. And it is suspected that the murderer was in the house for a long time. We'll come back to that. Uh, that's the reason why there's such a big window there um, is because he, he remained in the house for um, a very long time. Um, uh, both parents had been bound. Uh, rope and adhesive adhesive tape were both suspected to be involved in that. Uh, there was a there was a large carving knife that was about the same size as the um, as the wounds, and it was missing both it and the scabbard. I think there's a wooden scabbard. I read that in here. Um, that's the the sheath that it goes down into, the protective sheath. Both it and the sheath were missing from the home. Robbery may have been a motive, but the house was clean. It was really clean, guys. It had been scrubbed. Uh, that's the reason why they say they suspect he stayed there, and there was they found little to nothing in the house. They did find some clues they've held on to all these years, but there was no money in the house, and Jerry's empty billfold was found in the bedroom, so somebody had rifled through it and taken the money. The very last bit of information is very controversial because according to the coroner, he had reported that, uh, that, the, uh, that Linda Bricka had been raped, but then later on the lead prosecutor, the prosecutor, the lead investigator <coughs> had said that she had simply had intercourse within the previous, um, previous, Previous to, to being murdered, she had had intercourse. And that meant sometime within the previous two to three days, they said. Um, now, one interesting thing that I had read somewhere when the, when the coroner's report was finally made public, um, sometime, I, it seems like it only happened in the last decade. I don't find any early reports to this um, anywhere, just in the newer literature and in the book, that um, there was no mention of rape um, in, the, in the autopsy report. Uh, I guess the coroner's report and the autopsy report might be two different things. Anyway, so um, uh, let's talk about the family. Let's meet the family just a little bit now that we know the horrible stuff that happened to them. Uh, Jerry Bricka was 28 years old. Uh, he worked for Monsanto. He was an engineer. I guess they, at that point, Monsanto was building something in the area. Um, he was originally from San Francisco. And uh, Jerry and Linda had only been married just, just a few years before. Jerry was short, um, but he was kind of stocky. He was around 160 pounds. He had short hair and a dark complexion. Um, there's some, you can find pictures of their, I think it looks like a wedding picture. Um, he kind of looks Italian to me, just personally. 
Um, and um, so you just kind of picture that that type of um, a person. Um, you know, uh, they look the, all the pictures of them. They look just like a, a happy couple. Um, he's he was described as his by his neighbors as being just a great guy and, and uh, have have a really funny personality. Um, and he was a hard worker. Uh, he would work um, long shifts. He'd be gone. He worked a lot. He he worked. He'd only come home for a few hours time. Uh, and that would later become kind of a, a clue as to what might have happened here. Uh, and um, now his wife, Linda, um, her maiden name was Bulaw, B-U-L-A-W. Um, she was almost 24 years old. She had gone to stewardess school, I think for United Airlines. And um, she was described by everybody as being absolutely positively gorgeous. And uh, she was brunette. She had dark eyes. Um, she had graduated high school in Chicago at the age of 16. And then she went to um, uh, flight attendant school. And she subsequently met Jerry on a flight. She was a stewardess. And that's how they met. Um, and she was, she was an animal person. They had rabbits. They had dogs. She was known to feed the, uh, feed the birds in the backyard during the winter. And um, she, um, she also worked at a couple of uh, veterinary clinics in the area. Um, everybody described her as easy, just an easy person to get to know. And she also was, had a very good personality and she was well-liked by everybody. Um, the, the little girl was um, described as well-behaved. And somebody, there's a quote, it's in quotes in the book. Uh, in the Queen City Gothic book that she was, she talked like an adult. So I, I guess what that means is she was very, um, she had a good vocabulary and she enunciated well. Um, and she would often ask to be called Carol. That's another weird fact he has in his book. Often asked to be called Carol. <laughs> um, so um, a lot of people called them the kids because they were a very young couple compared to everybody else that lived in the neighborhood. The home itself, now, if you, I have a playlist, um, and I'll try to link it, if I remember, or you can go to Irv TV's main channel page, and I will have the Brick a Murder playlist there as well. Um, and I'll have some of the videos in this playlist. This includes some of the footage um, from... Um, the, the day of the murder, um, one of the local TV stations released their footage along with some of the footage of the um, news conf press conference they had the next day uh, in front of the house. Um, and in some of that footage, you can see a map of the house. So um, the, it was a typical, a typical home, I think, for what I've seen in Cincinnati. There was a basement level, and that's where the garage was. And um, they also had a playroom, and I think they had like a living area there. Um, um, and that's where they were the day of the murders. Um, the second level, I'm sorry, the, 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 the first floor, which in, in the United States we call it the first floor, that would be the ground level floor above, the first floor above the basement. Uh, the first floor was where the kitchen and the formal dining room would have been. And then on the top level to one side, kind of above the garage from the map I remember seeing, that's where, that's where the, um, the bedrooms are three bedrooms. There was a front room. The middle room was where the little girl was at. And the back room was the master bedroom. And, um, 
they everybody pretty much feels that the intruder came in the house through the front door. Why? Because there was no signs of a struggle at all. There was no breaking and entering. Everything was pretty clean. Um, but these are all signs that somebody may have stayed and simply cleaned up. Um, but um, so um, if after Jerry went upstairs to put the little girl to bed, this is me talking now. Um, if at that point, that's when there's a knock on the front door, then uh, Linda would have gone up to the first floor to answer the door, shutting the door behind her because the dogs were in the basement. And um, she would answer the front door, especially if it was somebody that the family knew and the dogs didn't make any noise. So perhaps this is somebody the dogs were even familiar with because nobody reported hearing any, any barking. Um, and how, once again, remember houses were only 15 feet apart from each other in this neighborhood. And these were your typical, uh, wood frame brick houses. And, um, if dogs start making a ruckus, somebody's going to hear it. And that's pretty much, pretty much the way it went that night. The sequence of events after the murder happened is still as, just as unclear as how, how a murderer got led in the front door. But the fact that the ni a knife out of the kitchen was probably the murder weapon means they didn't come to the house prepared to kill somebody. They, they didn't bring a murder weapon. They had to find a murder weapon. And so that also says something about this crime, that it was probably a crime of the moment. It was a crime, uh, what they call a crime of passion, where you need a weapon, so you grab what's available. The whole, the whole um, idea of was Linda Bricker raped or had she simply had intercourse? Um, the uh, autopsy report did not mention rape, so it probably is likely she simply had recent intercourse, and that's the, the lead investigator had repeatedly said in the, the early, early on in the investigation um, because that carving knife, knife was missing from the set. Um, the house was searched, but it hadn't been ransacked. Um, and that, that's also important if you're really going to really think about this case that, um, if this person was known by the family, any evidence of that connection was, was removed. All right, let's get into a little bit of speculation. Um, so the Monday morning inquirer was missing from the home, uh, the other papers were there. The Monday morning paper should have been there, which indicates that the murderer used it or took it or read it, which is really creepy. It should have arrived in the home during the four o'clock hour, uh, maybe as late as five o'clock. Um, and since the trash was picked up the next morning, um, the speculation is maybe the murderer used it to wrap the murder weapon in because they never did find it. He would have dropped it in the trash cans, which would have been picked up that morning. They questioned a lot of people um, and despite an intense search for the murder weapon, they never found it that I know of. Um, the motive for this remains kind of a gray area. Um, it is unlikely that this was done by a stranger. It's more likely this was done by somebody the family knew that was familiar with. It happened sometime between 9 p.m. Sunday and 6.30 a.m. Monday. Uh, but um, investigators and those who have really studied this feel it happen more Sunday night. Um, 
the dogs being really quiet um, is kind of um, an, an interesting thing that they feel that the dogs would have barked if they didn't know the person. And whoever opened the front door, whether it was the husband or the wife, um, they either... I feel if they were already down in the playroom, the dogs would have been down there. And then whoever went up to answer the door simply closed the basement door behind them and left the dogs in the basement. That seems more logical to me. I haven't heard anybody say that. I haven't seen that in the book. But in my mind, that's what it seems like, all right? Um... So there's been a lot of rumors and speculation about this over the years. There's a lot of details about this if you're interested. Once again, Queen City Gothic, Cincinnati's most infamous murder mysteries, contains a chapter on this. It is very good, and there will be another book coming soon um, from J.T. Townsend. One of the most interesting stories in the book is where the author of Queen City Gothic... Um, has a phone conversation with one of the former Bricka investigators, uh, and the investigator suddenly has amnesia. He doesn't remember anything about this case. And this is the Bricka case. I mean, how could you not remember anything? Like he said, the claim, the claim was he didn't remember anything about any of his cases. Um, <laughs> and evidently, this is a common thing that this case is closely guarded and that um, it seemed like at some point everybody just closed around that a, a little protective circle was made around the case as if um, somebody real important was involved in the murder and was being protected. Um, I, I just find that weird. I know that more recently um, there have been, there's been attempts to analyze the evidence collected from the scene by more modern methods. So far, they haven't reported anything to the public about the findings of, of those, uh, the results of that. It's been several years, though. It's been at least a couple of years since they tested that. Some of the news reports uh, for that go back as early as 2010. And so you think they would have found something out by now if they're going to find out anything. So let's get down to the nitty-gritty of things. Um, the speculation is that the, uh, the wife um, was having an affair with a local veterinarian. Now, if you, if you search around online, you'll find a veterinarian's name. As a matter of fact, if you watch the, um, if you watch the video, uh, any of the news reports that talk about the evidence, they show an evidence bag. And on the side of that evidence bag is the man's name. Um, so it is kind of official. They never said his name, but when they showed the evidence bags, his name was on the side of the bag. So he is officially been listed as a suspect, even if they never verbally to the press ever said it. Um, in, in the process of researching for this book, J.T. Townsend, the author of Queen City Gothic, said it had been verbally confirmed to him by a couple of previous investigators. The killer was left-handed, according to the autopsy reports. That's one thing that's kind of a, a, newer, a newer piece of information. Um... And in, in later years, even though we know that they were zeroing in on a specific individual who is a veterinarian whose name is on that evidence bag, it starts with an L, I think. I, I can't even begin to try to pronounce it. He was a well-known uh, Westside veterinarian. 
Um, they have denied in recent years that the that the um, <laughs> that there was uh, any one uh, uh, suspect that they had ever narrowed down to. Despite despite they might be changing their tune now in more recent years since 2010, but prior to 2010. Uh, they would deny that there was a specific individual. I don't know why this was. I don't understand it. But it really sn it really smells of to me like there is some type that there was some type of a cover up going on. Like any time that very suddenly everybody gets protective and forgets that there is somebody uh, involved, it just seems to me like that just that just really. Seems like there's some type of underworld connection. This is the same type of thing we see going on with the um, Beverly Hills Supper Club. We see all sorts of cover-up type things under the table uh, where we have uh, government officials all of a sudden just not wanting to talk about it, trying to uh, protect the evidence from being released. That type. Anytime I see that, I, I always wonder if there's some type of mafia connection. Uh, that's never been mentioned, not even in the Queen City Gothic book. But when, when you have uh, an investigator get amnesia and, oh, I can't remember anything, that it just seems real fishy to me. So anyway, guys, thanks for watching. I appreciate it. Uh, if you're on YouTube, you'll find a pop-up right here of um, uh, the Brick of Murder case. It's a playlist, both of uh, my my this video and also of other a collection of other videos that are interesting if you're interested in this topic. Everybody, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And uh, uh, enjoy the rest of your week. And hey, I'll see you in the next video.